Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast, which hasn't been very funny lately. Or was it ever funny? It's it was never funny, Hank, trust me. <laughs> In which we answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, hey. Hi. You know what's happening in my life right now? I gotta tell you something. I thought you usually ask how I was doing, and I have a whole bit prepared. <laughs> Okay, well, you go first, then. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Rushmore, Hank. It's oh a great movie. God. There's um, a moment in Rushmore where uh, the character played by Bill Murray says to uh, a teenager, what's the secret, Max? And the teenager replies, I guess you've just got to find something you love to do and then do it for the rest of your life. For me... It's going to Rushmore. And uh, often in the last <laughs> 10 years, Hank, I have felt that um, I have unlocked that Max Fisher secret to life and am fortunate that it is not attending one particular high school. But at the moment, I'm a little bit jealous of Max and his singular focus and his ability to understand precisely what he wants from his life. I would also love a singular focus. Do, do, do actual people have a singular focus? And, and also, is it a key to happiness? Because it seems well, I'll like tell you it what. I think be. the guy who made Rushmore, Wes Anderson, does have a singular focus, and it's making Wes Anderson movies. And I think he kind of wakes up in the morning, and that's what he wants to do. And he doesn't like oh, sometimes in the afternoon while he's filming a movie, he doesn't like drift off and think maybe I'll start a convention about podcasts. <laughs> Speaking of which, there is very little time left to back the PodCon Indiegogo. If you go to PodCon.com, if you're listening to this, there's like one or two days left. Um, and or possibly zero. But there still will be tickets available after the Indiegogo ends, just they will be more expensive and not all of the same things will be available. So there are a number of things that are only available. Uh, any, every, anything over $125 is not available after the, uh, after the convention, all those special uh, Indiegogo things. But, John, that's not the, the thing that uh, is exciting me right now. Certainly, it's something I'm working on and I am, I am excited about it, but not as exciting as the fact that I just got a microscope. Oh, I have a microscope. 
Hey, do you? Oh, it's amazing. So good. Dude, it's so when good. you look up close at the world, it looks totally different. It's all so... I got, I'm, I, I got really obsessed with fabric recently, John, mm-hmm. uh, and I wanted to know everything about it. And so I've been doing a lot of research about fabric. But one of the problems is like, like you know, I want to know what, what, how thing, why things feel different and why they are different and... and um, like and like one shirt feels different from another one and your pants feel different from your sheets and all that stuff and so i've been doing a bunch of research but it's like there's just not some like you can't do it all until you actually get to look at it like there's like reading about it but then looking at it and and a lot of the stitching is so fine these days that you can't really look at it without a microscope so i got a microscope specifically just to look at fabric and i feel like this is my singular focus. This is my going mm. to Rushmore, and all I mm. want to do is look at fabric and talk to people about how uh, textiles work. This is so... probably not going to surprise you, Hank, but when I got a microscope, the very first thing that I did was prick my finger mm. and uh, look at the blood. Mm. I did look. I did do something that uh, Randall Monroe of XKCD suggests you never do, which is look at the undersides of your fingernails, which I did, and I agree. Don't do that. Ugh, that sounds disgusting. No, I found looking at my blood very helpful, though, because I was looking at, like, you know, these millions of cells, or I don't know how many, in a single drop of blood, like, as I moved the slide around, and I just remember thinking, like, I bet these cells all think that they are important and interesting in precisely the same (laughs) way I do. (laughs) That is not the case, John. I can guarantee you your blood cells don't don't know anything. They're not even. Mm, they're not even nucleated. Th- I, I, I don't think you could actually guarantee that. Let's get to a question from our <laughs> listeners. Hank, I don't have a short poem for the day. This question comes from Joey. It is very important, and we need to get to it quickly. Joey writes: I came home from work today, and my front and backyard had been mowed. What should I do? Should I be freaked out? It was a little tall with some weeds and things, but not to such a degree that I should be on the receiving end of some kind of lawn care vigilantism, right? Yours in discomfort, <laughs> Joey. Don't go in my yard with your yard. I have a story. I have a story too. Um, want, do I, you, you go first. I may have I may have told this told the story on the, the podcast or somewhere before because it. Oh my goodness! So I used to live in a house that was a rental, and and there were three units, and um, and one day my landlord was hanging out. And he was like, hey, did you pull up the flowers that were back behind the fence? And I was like, no, I didn't pull up any of your flowers. No, I don't do, like, voluntary yard work. And then another of my neighbors, like, came out into the back porch area. And uh, and he was like, hey, did you pull up those the flowers that were back by the fence? And the guy was like, those weeds? And my landlord was like, no, the flowers that were back there and he was like there was some weeds that i pulled and my landlord was like well they were wildflowers from seeds that were thrown at my wedding because uh, he had previously lived in this house before he started renting it out and the guy was like i don't know what you're talking about but i i pulled up some i pulled up some weeds yeah and the landlord was like well they were flowers and uh and you know We'll do the yard maintenance. Like, that's on me, the landlord, not on you, the tenant. And the guy was like, well, now you're just making me feel bad. 
Well, I mean, I don't know. It sounds to me like those that was two two awkward people. Here's my story. When I first moved in to when I first moved to Indianapolis, I was so excited to have a lawn. I'd been telling we'd been living in New York. I'd been telling Sarah for months that when we moved to Indianapolis, I was going to buy a lawnmower and be a person who mows their lawn every Saturday, and it was going to make Oof. me so happy. And at the end of mowing my lawn, I was going to drink. I don't know. Miller High Life or whatever it is that proper normal Americans in the middle of the country drink. And I was just going to buy all in on being a lawn guy. And about we, we lived there for about six weeks and I was mowing the lawn one day. And I mean, it's just hell. I don't it's <laughs> it's just as close to hell as I've ever come to mow a lawn and then to have the grass grow again. And then you just think, man, I haven't walked on that lawn since the last time I mowed it. And now I'm going to have to walk on it again, only to mow it all summer long. So anyway, I'm mowing the lawn. There's like this ditch between my, my yard and my neighbor's yard. And my neighbor only mows up to his end of the ditch, even though he has a riding lawn mower. And I'm like, have this like, you know, this push thing mm -hmm. that's battery powered because it's better for the environment or whatever, but it's just not even very good lawnmower. And the guy comes up to me, my next door neighbor comes up to me, puts his arm around me. I turn off the stupid lawnmower, puts his arm around me and he says, you know, when the Kaufmans lived here, this was the best lawn in the neighborhood. Oh! And you know what I said to him, Hank? So, something I'm sure very nice. I said, listen, buddy, unless you want to be Joey's neighbor doing some lawn care vigilantism, <laughs> back the F off. The Kaufmans don't live here anymore. You got the Green family. There's some things we're good at. Art. <laughs> Writing for teenagers. <laughs> Uh, choosing interior logs. paint colors <laughs> and then there's some things that we're not good at like mowing the lawn oh I was so mad and I I, I, I mean here's the thing Joey I, ultimately I think you should be grateful and then the other thing I think you should do is definitely do not mow your lawn for a couple weeks because it's possible that this lawn care thing will be a regular occurrence like maybe somebody really loves mowing their lawn and they love it so much that when they're done mowing their lawn they they look over and they think you know Joey's lawn could use a mowing and then they just go over there and do it and then they drink their Miller High Life and they're so happy <laughs> so why would you make them unhappy by telling them that they can't mow your lawn anymore I have a backdoor neighbor who uh, snow blows off my car so when this when like like a bunch of snow falls, uh, he has a snow blower like a, yeah. like a leaf blower basically, and he's doing his car, and then he goes and does my car, and I've never told him to do it, I've never asked him to do it, uh, but I have thanked him for doing it, uh, and it it just happens, and it's and I think he just I think he just likes it. He also like he's a he is in fact a lawn care professional that guy, and he has. He has a billboard, wow. and I see him on the billboard, and then I see him in my backyard, and I'm like, there he is, that guy. I forgot his name. I mean, the I other Joey possibility, name, Hank, I, I guess. Only remember people's that dogs' names, never their actual name. Just the dogs. A professional lawn care service has begun mowing Joey's yard, and in a couple weeks, Joey is just going to get an invoice. <laughs> 
And in that yeah, situation, no, Joey, I would recommend that you pay that invoice <laughs> and continue to enjoy lawn care from yeah, a I mean, professional. It's nice, it's nice that you didn't have to set it up. Uh, it just sort of automatically happened. Um, though if you don't want to pay for lawn care, uh, you don't have to just because someone has has mowed your lawn without you asking. My goodness. My goodness. This question is from Sarah, who asks, Sometimes I find myself in a position of having to share a, quote, fun fact about myself. Oh, yeah. I find the prospect of sharing a single fun fact about myself to be somewhat intimidating, since it's often the first impression I make to a group of people. Is it better to attempt to use my fun fact to come across as funny and interesting, or should I try to make the fun fact as forgettable as possible so that I get an opportunity to make a first impression later on? Tell us a fun fact about yourselves, Sarah. I mean, I just, I hate that question so much. Not the, not Sarah's question, but but tell me a fun fact about you. Right, I you hate mean? being asked to tell a fun fact about myself. <laughs> yeah. I, John, you know what? I'm actually really good at the fun fact uh, roundtable. What is, Hank, Hank, tell me a fun fact about yourself. Uh, it, it, you know, I invented 2D glasses. And in 1998, I was voted Winter Park High School's best dancer. Um, I mean, that's true. It's not It's not the world's fault that most of us <laughs> didn't invent 2D glasses and most of us were not <laughs> named best dancer at Winter Park High School in 1998. I mean, Hank has a huge advantage in this topic because he is, he is the subject of so many incredibly fun facts. <laughs> that's, that's nice of you to say. That's, uh, that makes me feel all warm. I actually, just to be clear, I'm not totally sure that's a compliment. <laughs> I actually, the most recent time I did this was in, in like birth class, and I actually did a really bad job. I try, I wanted to try out something out, uh, something new. So I like instead of saying like a fun fact about myself, I kind of just talked about like what I was into, uh, kind of in the hopes that I would find somebody else who was into the same things. So I said like yeah. I'm really into hard science fiction, and I don't know oh, that no. everybody in the room knew what that even was. But also, that's not a fun fact. No one in the room. Uh, was also into hard science fiction. I was basically looking for some other dad who's going to have a kid the same age as mine, first kid, and we're going to be like besties. But alas, it was a bunch of uh, Missoula, Montana hiker and snowboarder folk because that's who that's who lives here. Uh, but I, yeah, so here's what I want to say to Sarah. I have a Sarah thing. To say. So first thing you got to know is that if you go first... Or second, like nobody's going to hear what you say because everybody is way too busy thinking of their own fun fact. That's true. And in fact, That's true. everybody in fact, behind maybe, you. Maybe you want to make it if you maybe you want to make sure that you go first or second so that no one will remember your fun fact and then make it just an outrageous lie. So it could be like. <laughs> My fun fact is that uh, on the set of the movie La La Land, I had a brief but extremely intense affair with Ryan Gosling. <laughs> we aren't seeing each other anymore, but for those 48 hours, I have never felt so loved. Who's mm. next? <laughs> Oh, God. My fun fact is that my great-great-grandfather designed the penny. That's great. Oh, my God. I don't even know if that's... Hank, for all I know, that's true. And yeah. we have the same great-great-grandfather. It, great it great could grandfather. very well be true. Yeah. 
Yep, we have several. We have, I mean, if if you put another grade on there, there's like 35 potential people. That's it could good. Be. Okay, let's all let's actually, you know what, Hank? Let's all just agree to use that fact no matter what. So that way you'll know if you're ever in a fun fact situation, you'll know if you meet another listener of Dear Hank and John, Mm. they'll be like, my fun fact is that my great, great grandfather designed the penny. And then you'll be like, you listen to Dear Hank and John. And then they'll be like, oh, no, no, no. My great, great grandfather designed the penny. I don't know what you're talking about. My great, great grandfather was Abraham Lincoln. He put his own face on the penny. My great-great-grandfather, Abraham Lincoln, pressed (laughs) the side of his face against a huge piece of copper. And what resulted from that was a coinage that ought to not exist. (laughs) It was once useful and no longer is. I can't... How long have we even had the... Have we had the penny for as long as we've had a dollar? Because, like... How have we had this thing for so long through so much inflation? You how, long, how much was a penny you how long we've had worth? the penny. Hank, Hank, let me tell you how long we've had the penny. Do you want to know how long we've had the penny? How long? We've had the penny so long that when the penny was first became the smallest <laughs> piece of coinage available, okay. uh-huh. it was worth more than today's quarter. Wow. What I'm telling you is that 130 years ago, they survived with, a, with the lowest, lowest coin available being worth a quarter. And the world did not fall apart, and the economy did not suffer, and nothing terrible happened because pennies and nickels and arguably dimes are just not good they should not exist. We, we should move on to another question. This one is from Addison, who asks, Dear John and Hank, John, you frequently state that you are a Christian. I wouldn't say I frequently state it, but okay. If you believe that one's faith has eternal consequences, as most Christians do, then why are you so okay with Hank's lack of faith? Hank, how do you get along so well with a brother who has such a different worldview from you? One foot in the grave, Addison. Um... I mean, so yeah, John, I don't, I've never asked. Where do you think I'm going? <laughs> uh, I mean, where, where am I going to go? <laughs> I mean, we're laughing and that might be disrespectful. And I apologize if it, if it comes across as disrespectful. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. So I, I'm not totally sure I agree with the assessment that um, most Christians believe that one's faith has eternal consequences, partly because the Catholic Church has been pretty, um, what's the technical term for it? I think wishy-washy on the subject of whether only Catholics go to heaven. Uh, And I I think at Mm. this point, after Vatican II, it's pretty clear that the Catholic Church does not hold that only only Catholics go to heaven. as for me personally, like I often say that I, I think the question of whether God like quote unquote really exists is one of the least interesting questions in in religion to me and also like one of the least interesting questions in my own personal faith. Uh, I also am not very interested in the question of whether there is an afterlife or what that afterlife would look like or who it would include or exclude. But I am not uh, in any way worried about Hank's uh, eternal soul. I, it's just not it's just not my it's just not my theology i guess it's just not the way that i mean everybody everybody constructs a certain 
theology that hopefully to them like makes sense and is consistent and can be applied in all situations uh, and and doesn't have you know huge gaping holes in it. And I've worked hard to kind of build a, a faith that I think works for me on that front. Uh, but I, I do not, I am not worried about Hank's soul. I think Hank is a good person, and I think that, I think he's good. I think he'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I appreciate you answering this question. When I saw it, I was like, I would like to hear John's answer to this question. Uh, but I also, of course, didn't want to, like, point, p- like, point you and, like, say, like, ha, you have to answer this now. But thanks for asking, Edison, and thank you, John, for answering. I, um... I, I do in general like like as a person who does not have a faith I I often find it weird how focused we get on these questions that seem to me kind of I don't know I don't want to say pedantic but a little like just a little bit like there there is a much bigger set of questions here about how to be a person and the and and like the get, getting focused on the places where we disagree when we agree on what I think are much more important things. That's how I get along with people who have quote, a different worldview from me because we don't have a different worldview. We have a different understanding of like, of like, like the, like the nature of the cosmos a little bit, but, but in terms of how to act and be a person, uh, I think that that, I think that like, we 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 agree on more than I you know like most people I have ever met. So that is yeah. how I get along well with my brother. Um, it, it, yeah, I mean the analogy that I use, and I'll of course always be suspicious of analogies, especially be suspicious of analogies when it comes to religion. But uh, the analogy that I use is uh, imagine that um, uh, someone is screaming, "Your house is on fire." In that situation, I am not very interested in who's screaming, my house is on fire. Like, maybe it is God, maybe it is a fireman. Um, The relevant issue to me is that the house is on fire. (laughs) (laughs) My my religious faith basically comes from a a belief that... uh, that I I have been in, informed by by God through uh, through holy scriptures that that the house is on fire and I am trying my best to respond to that uh, what I would call like revelation uh, but I also understand that lots of people wouldn't call that a revelation and if they're interested in responding to the uh, house being on fire situation. Uh, I welcome their input and assistance. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I, I don't, I don't think we should uh, sit here and have a like. How many angels can we fit on the head of a pin conversation? I think we should have a conversation that 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 begins like, hey, what are we going to do about the fact that the house is on fire? Yeah, and I, uh, yeah, in, in in the specific situation of of the uh, afterlife. I, I don't tend to be affected too much by how what what people think is going to happen to my uh, m- me whatever I am after I die because of course in my worldview nothing will happen for a long long time just like nothing happened for a long long time before I existed and it's just as sad that I wasn't around for all those billions of years that I won't be around for the next billions. But uh, so that's a bummer. I don't think it's all sad, though. I mean, I like. Oh, I, I, but I love. I, I, I mean, I agree with you. I totally agree with you. But but like, I just I 
feel like I've gotten to see so many amazing things happen in the short little blink that I've been alive. I'm going to, and like, it's sad to me that I'm going to miss so many amazing things that are going to happen in the future and that happened in the past and also that are happening right now and that I'll never know about because I don't speak the right language or I don't live in the right place or I don't know about the, like, I don't have the same cultural background to, to allow me to enjoy right. it in the same way. There's just like, we miss out on everything. That is, that is like yeah. the definition of being a human is missing out on stuff. But, um, but, but, you know, there's a, the side effect of appreciating the things that I, that I'm really into, whether it's microscoping my pants or hanging out with my brother, uh, is that I, I feel like I will, I will be missing out on things after I am gone. So I want to read you this quote by Toni Morrison. And I, I agree with you. Um, you know, at, at, at the end of his life, uh, Maurice Sendak, the author of Where the Wild Things Are, uh, said in an, in an interview, I have fallen in love with the world. Mm. And I think that there is something really magical about falling in love with the world because you miss this or you miss that and you miss almost everything, but you don't miss everything if you can fall in love with the world. But the, this quote from uh, Toni Morrison is something that I think about a lot in that context. Hank, it's, uh, she, she wrote, uh, at some point in life, the world's beauty becomes enough you don't need to photograph, paint, or even remember it. It is enough. And speaking of that, John, I have a, I yep. have a question. It comes from John, who asks, okay. Dear Hank and John, how does one get into the ice cream truck business? <laughs> that is right on topic. <laughs> um, because the ice cream business is also a way of falling in love with the world. I mean, maybe. Maybe. Uh, so the first thing, of course, that you have to do is you've got to you've got to acquire an ice cream truck and a lot of ice cream. Now, like you also like. Well, you don't. I don't think you even need an ice cream truck, John. You just need a cooler strapped to your bike. But you do need ice yeah. cream, and you need ice cream, and you need some way of keeping it extremely cold, cold because yeah. nobody's going to buy. You know, a choco taco that's half melted. <laughs> or all melted. I just like, yeah, nobody's going to buy ice cream that isn't ice. It's just like sweet milk. <laughs> it's going to be uh, hard to sell. Uh, Alice, my daughter might buy that, actually. She'd be into it. <laughs> it's like warm, sweet milk. Um, um, uh, yeah. Hank, how much do you know about the ice cream business? Is this one of like a, an area of expertise I'm going to be surprised to learn about? Uh, well, I do want to say, so John, John also asked about a number of like technical, like, uh, is, do you like work for someone else when you have an ice cream truck or are they all independent? And it's a variety. There, there are some people who own a bunch of ice cream trucks that usually this starts by someone having one and then expanding their little empire and hiring people to run them. But uh, most ice cream trucks are independent businesses. They are sometimes franchises. So you can you can get a franchise license for an existing ice cream truck business and they'll help you figure out your business model. There are also places where you can just look up online to see like what's the business model of an ice cream truck and how does it work and how do you know if yours is going to be successful or not. Um, but uh, yeah, you. For the most part, they are independent uh, businesses, and it is not a not a way to make a killing. Like you're not going to get wealthy as an ice cream truck person, but you you might work for yourself and and make enough to go and uh, and do it just fine. But you do need some startup capital, and that's uh, that is the the uh, you know the the barrier in most business. Like you need enough money to buy an ice cream truck and to get those speakers on the top that play the music. 
and uh, and to get a, and to get a good ice cream supplier, which uh, there's a number of ways to do that as well to get to get uh, an expensive uh, wholesale ice cream. Uh, but yeah, so you can. It's possible. It's a thing that people do and can do. I don't know if it's a thing that is a growth field though. Does it feel a little bit like people don't trust ice cream trucks anymore? Uh, maybe a little bit, but then I don't think people trust most of the major institutions. Like, I'm concerned about people not trusting ice cream trucks as much as they used to. I'm significantly more concerned about people not trusting democracy as much as they used to. <laughs> Speaking of which, Hank, we got a question from Jethro who writes, uh, but by the way, Hank, thank you for that really uh, interesting introduction to the business of ice cream truck sales. That was not something that I, I, I thought we would ever get into around here. Uh, Dear John and Hank, you were both lucky enough to interview and in one case meet former president of the United States, Barack Obama. If you were given mm. the opportunity to interview and meet the current president, would you take it? And what would you ask? Uh, Tinkety tonk old fruit and down the Nazis, Jethro. Uh, P.S. Apparently this is how the Queen Mother used to sign off her correspondence. Oh. <laughs> God, <laughs> what do we need to do to become Nazis. British again? <laughs> Brentrance. <laughs> Hashtag Brentrance. Brentrance. <laughs> oh, well, you know, they've, they've, got, they've got a similar set of issues to us, John, it turns out. Mm, um, I wouldn't say that similar. That, I wouldn't say well, that similar. Uh, for a little bit of context, Hank, I, there are a number of people in Britain who have I heart the NHS tattooed on their bodies. I would, I would ask you very sincerely, mm -hmm. is there an American with I heart the American healthcare system tattooed on their bodies? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but I, I do, I do, I do feel like maybe that is a that is a future, uh, like like something that that appeals to me a little bit, like getting my like my positions just tattooed on my body somewhere. Like climate change is real. <laughs> All right, uh, but um, to the question, yeah. to the question, to the question, to the question. What was the question? Would you interview President Trump, oh, and what would you ask? Right. Him? I, I forgot what it was because I didn't want to answer the question. I don't think that I would. Yeah. Um, I like it. Like in all honesty, like I think that there's a funny answer to this question that I didn't that I didn't go to, but it's it's hard for me to be funny around this topic right now. Yeah. But I uh, uh, no, I don't. I don't. I don't think I. I don't think I would. I like. I if if I did if I if I like gotten to a headspace where. I, I wanted to. I I feel like I would probably only ask him one question and I would ask it over and over again. And I don't know what it would be, but it would just be a number of any of the things that he says all the time that is just patently untrue. Like, like, for, like over and over again, he said uh, it's very difficult for a Republican to win with the Electoral College in place. And I just want to know what he means by that, because it's not true. It is more difficult for Democrats to win because uh, Republicans are overrepresented by the Electoral College, like rural areas are overrepresented by the Electoral College. And I'm not saying that, like, that, you know, Rural, rural areas shouldn't like represent the you know their physical space that they are in and get some extra representation uh, because because of how you know states like this is the United States of America, but that's it's like I'm not arguing against the electoral college. I think that there's a place for that. We don't need to do that right now. I just want to know what he means because like what does he think he's saying? And when like whenever he says it, it's just like there's so many other things to argue about that are much bigger, like it's just over and over again, I just like want to be like, can we just get to the 
point where we're like, you're like, okay, yeah, no, I get it. I'm just saying stuff that that that's just, I'm making up. I'm just making stuff up because it sounds good. Well, so I actually think that that's part of a strategy to get you to ask questions like that instead of to engage right. on other topics, and so it would sort of be a win for uh, for him. Right, and and probably like he would just like the the, the strategy seems to be to to be like well. Uh, you know, like get a little bit flustered and, and be like, well, if you don't, if you don't know what I mean, then. Right. Like, I'm not going to tell you. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, like, it, I, I am legitimately curious about some things, but I think, I think that you are right that it, like, I just don't think that it's productive because he, like, there just isn't like, you don't like, it was amazing. Like I asked Barack Obama about his position on legalizing marijuana, like, over and like the next day his answer was news it was like like he said something that he hadn't previously said right. that was like insightful and uh and and was sort of a path forward and and like an understanding of like the slow process that we have to go through in order for this to eventually happen mm-hmm. and i was like like what a like like news was made rather than just being like well we can't really like, it doesn't really matter what this guy says because he says something different the next day. Uh, yeah, that's one of the reasons I would choose not to interview the president. The biggest reason, honestly, is that it would stress me out and it would not be that fun. <laughs> and I don't think that it would. So I would spend a lot of time worrying about it, but I don't think that it would move the needle in U.S. political discourse in any way. I don't think there's anything that I could say that would move the needle because we're all, to quote Robert Penn Warren, just bubbles on the tide of empire. And uh, so why stress myself out for three weeks about something that won't matter? Um, And when I had the chance to do it with President Obama, I kind of felt the same way. Uh, But I also felt uh, like there were a couple of questions that I could ask that would be meaningful to me. And that and he responded, I thought, to both of them quite thoughtfully. Mm hmm. Let's answer a couple more. Wait, 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 Hank. wait, what, what, Hank. what, what, Hank. what, I've just, I've just received an email. Oh, that's weird that you're looking at your email right now. It's from the American quarter. Oh, from the quarter, from the unit of currency. Today's podcast is brought to you by our brand new sponsor, One <laughs> American Quarter, the last coin that should exist other than maybe dollar coins. I completely think dollar coins should exist, and I, I appreciate this sponsorship, and I assume that they sent us 378 quarters, which is not a paltry sum, John. Mm, it's mm, Yeah, it's not paltry. I wouldn't say it's poultry. It's definitely not a poultry sum. This podcast is also brought to you by Lawn Care Vigilantism. Lawn Care Vigilantism. Not technically... Uh, Two words that are words. Definitely one of them. I think it's vigilantism. Mm, it doesn't matter. It, we we read the sponsors however they come in, Hank. If they want to be lawn care vigilantism, <laughs> that's fine. And of course, today's podcast it's is... It's true. I did, did not mean to judge lawn care today's vigilantism. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Hank Soul, which is just fine. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, this podcast is brought to you by John's Ice Cream Truck Business. An independent source for all of your delicious, warm sweet milks. 
So listen, your toilet is massively gross, like it's grosser than you think. In fact, bacteria and viruses can hang around in the toilet bowl even after multiple flushes. And I recently found the easiest way to clean my toilet, Blue Land's Sustainable Toilet Cleaner Tablets. Just drop, watch it fizz, brush, and flush. It is truly that simple. No more scrubbing for hours. Plus, the tablets are plastic-free. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blue Land products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blue Land has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. I think the only thing, just to go back to a previous point, I even in saying that uh, I think your soul is fine, I, I fear that I might have offended you by implying that you have a soul. <laughs> so I'm sorry if that if that hurt your feelings, but I do think that you have a soul and we are that is probably something that we do disagree about, but it's not a big deal to us. But I yep. apologize for implying that you have no, you an can, actual soul. You- you, I, I do not mind you thinking I have a soul. Like, this is not a thing that bothers me. Great. I'm going to keep thinking uh, it. I'm one, I don't know exactly why it doesn't bother me. But lots, lots of people think things that I don't think that don't have a negative effect on me or the world. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's great. I think it's good. I, I, like, I, like, <laughs> that, I like that we don't agree about everything. Um, but I actually think that that is one of our less interesting disagreements. We've got really good proper disagreements about, for instance, whether the movie Rushmore is important <laughs> to see tomorrow. <laughs> I, uh, I do. I, I, I will watch Rushmore, John. And in fact, I would like to watch it with you if that's if that's ever possible. I think that that would be fun. Uh, it'd be great. I would love to watch it with you. But it's going to be a little annoying because I mouth every line of dialogue <laughs> as it happens. The- All right, this question comes from Denny, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I don't know what's happening, but whenever Gunnarola kicks in as I'm listening on Overcast, I get a smile and pep up. I can't wait for the poem of the day. Oh, I'm sorry to disappoint you, Denny. (laughs) Get news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon and listen to the rest of dubious advice that you two dole out. In short, your podcast is a highlight of my potting week. The problem is I'm almost 60 years old, not your target audience. Does this mean I'm going through a midlife crisis? Uh, Quick pause. Mm -hmm. Nope. No, let's finish the question before I deliver deliver the hammer. Should I just stick with NPR and act my age? Should I buy a Ferrari? Deadpans and bedpans. Denny. Right. <laughs> so nice one. That's a great yeah. sign off. Deadpans and bedpans. I mean, that's not since the Queen Mom have I heard a sign off of <laughs> that quality. Not since one question. I can ago. only guess that Dinny is British, yeah. just like I desperately want to be again. Uh, what what's what's the hammer, Johnny? What are you going to crush down? Uh, I think it's a little late to talk about midlife crises. <laughs> As you Unless know, Hank, gonna... I feel very strongly that the term middle-aged has been inappropriately hijacked by people who are not middle-aged. <laughs> I am middle-aged because if you double my age, it is an acceptable, if not ideal, lifespan. 
I will continue to be middle-aged until I'm about 47, at which point I will become, and this is a, a phrase I have just made up, I hope that it catches on, young old. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like young adult, but uh, young old person. Right. Instead of being yeah. a young adult, which I was when I was 17, yeah. when I'm 50 to 68... I will mm-hmm. be young old. Then from like yep. 68 to 80, I'll be old. And then from 80 to uh, hopefully until, 136. <laughs> you'll be dead. And then after 136, you will also be dead. No, after that, they're going to use the cryogenic technology to bring me back. And I'm going to be better than ever. Uh, well, I do want to say to Denny, some people have lived to be 120 years old, by which I mean one person ever has lived to be 120 years old. Actually, so, you know what? Maybe that's a good point, Hank. Maybe, maybe you Denny are is, is middle-aged. I take it back. Yeah. Denny, good news. You're middle-aged. Don't buy a Ferrari. It's just not a good use of your resources. I mean, pa- quick pause to note that if you can afford to buy a Ferrari, you can probably afford to head over to patreon.com slash John and throw this podcast some dimes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, you want to have your midlife crisis on Patreon, really? Like that's, yeah. That's, I mean, uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna spend a Ferrari level money on something, we can get you some amazing perks. You can get access to this week in Ryan's. We Actually, will. That's it. I mean, I, for for a Ferrari, I will yep. make you your own podcast. Hank, I desperately want you to own a Ferrari, and I, I want you to own a Ferrari that you are not allowed to sell. Oh, well, that is the first thing I would do with a Ferrari. And that you are not allowed to transfer to any other human being. And also, as a condition of you owning this Ferrari, I might buy it for you. Uh, as a condition of no, you owning this Ferrari, God, this it would be the only car you would be allowed no, to drive no, around the streets of Missoula, no, Montana. No, 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 no. God, that makes me feel so awkward. Oh, my God. I would. Oh, God. I have such a hang up about this stuff, John. Like. I, oh, me too. The the like imagining myself in an expensive car, like, it, and and like it makes me realize that when I look at people who drive cars like that, like when I'm in Beverly Hills and I see like Aston Martins driving around, like I look inside those cars and I'm like, I don't judge people super harshly all the time, but right now you are dirt to me. Like this is a disgusting choice. I just believe that. Like I have a very hard time imagining people spending $250,000 on a car for any other reason than like being really hung up on this, like these weird ideas of wealth and also wanting to just throw it out there at other people and what could possibly like and how disconnected do you have to be from reality to spend that to just just evaporate that all of that power that you have a couple things Hank this thing that is that serves you in no way commensurate with its with its cost okay couple things first off Please stop alienating our most likely big dollar sponsors. <laughs> Jesus. Get your head out of your behind. We need those people. We need them when it comes Project for Awesome time. We need them when it comes time to sponsor a new series of Crash Course. Hank. Yeah. The, Hank, the weird rich people are the people we depend upon the most. I believe Secondly, weird rich whenever people I see one of those cars, future. treat them <laughs> well I, and let they're already <laughs> leading the way. <laughs> whenever I see one of those cars, I try to tell myself, okay, is it not possible 
that this person has one singular tremendous passion, which is the magic of automotive engineering, and they are trying to push it forward through this purchase, and it is so important to them, and it is the thing that gets them up in the morning the way that I love AFC Wimbledon, which I also waste a ton of money on. Um, well, I wouldn't say waste. I would say invest. <laughs> um like, is, might it not be their AFC Wimbledon, a thing that gives them joy and structure and meaning uh, in a place where they really struggle to find it? And so I try not, that's how I try not to judge them. So yeah. I'm just saying, Denny, if you want to buy a Ferrari, which is, <laughs> by the way, it sounds like you don't. <laughs> See, this is really, really way off the question. If you want to buy a Ferrari, uh, you know, just have a good long think about it. But it sounds from your question like you definitely don't. The question is, is it is it socially acceptable to be a 60-year-old fan of Dear Hank and John? And the answer is overwhelmingly, unambiguously, yes. 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 Thank you. They, we yes. think that is awesome. It made it made our day. That's why we read your question and had a fight about expensive cars. <laughs> and I don't like and I I definitely don't feel like there's anything about this podcast that's like particularly youth oriented, right? Mm, no. In fact, we devoted like half of an episode to Kokomo, the uh, Beach Boy song. By the way, Hank, we might have gotten oh, 500 man. emails about Kokomo. I, Everyone yeah, I, has like, heard Kokomo. Clear, we apologized to all the yes. people who felt less than human because they felt excluded because we thought that they didn't like or listen to Kokomo. That is our bad. Our bad. We're Apparently, sorry. Kokomo has had many lives in many forms since it was first released, um, and, and so uh, in a lot of children's media, especially like uh, there's a Chipmunks Kokomo, there's a, a Muppets Kokomo. So there's lots of Kokomo okay. for, for people to consume as, as children, uh, whether or not they were born in the '80s. Uh, speaking of which, Hank, um, we need to get to some corrections yeah. real quickly before we get to the news from Mars okay. and AFC Wimbledon. We have some vital corrections okay. this week. Uh, we got at least one vital correction. John. We have three vital corrections and several others that we're not going to get to because of time. Uh, Kevin wrote in to say, uh, my son and I were listening to your pod. He's a pilot in training. He tells me that when planes crash, their tail numbers can be reused for other airplanes, but all crashes are still tied to that tail number. So that likely means that the young person who was born in an airplane uh, was born in an airplane that, that had not crashed, which is probably it's good news for her. We are not in a sliding doors multiverse situation. Also, uh, <laughs> Kevin and Christian Saliga point out that the steering wheel is not called a steering wheel on an airplane. It is called a yoke. Also, I received an email from Beto who wrote, Dear Brothers Green, in a recent episode of The Pod, you uh, talked about rodents, and at some point John mentioned how there were no rodents larger than a baby, at which point Hank corrected him, saying how wrong he was, and then, of course, I freaked out uh, and just kept saying, nope, and stopped telling me about these rodents. Now, Beto points out, I was born and raised in Venezuela, and as a proud Venezuelan, I cannot let this slide. The biggest rodent in the world, the capybara, is native to Venezuela and Brazil and is, in my opinion, one of the cutest freaking animals there are. With all that is happening in my country, I believe we have enough bad rep as it is. <laughs> I'm, I mean, Hank is laughing, but Beto, seriously, I am d d deeply yeah. sorry and deeply concerned about what is happening in Venezuela mm -hmm. right now. And then uh, Beto sent three amazing pictures of the rodents that they look yes, nothing like rats they look like lovable huggable dogs with rodent faces and i have completely fallen in yeah. love with them and i just want to stay <laughs> safe entirely for the record i was wrong i was wrong i was wrong we're going to post these to the patreon 
They're very cute. Oh my gosh. They're so Hank, cute. do you want to read the Star Wars one? Because it was fascinating. Yeah, so our final correction is from Anonymous, uh, who does not want to let everybody know about who they are. Dear Hank and John, big fan of the pod. In a recent episode, Hank discussed various clothing clasp mechanisms of Star Wars and how they appear to have all the same technologies that we have here on Earth. However, I have worked with the Star Wars license, and I have even had the privilege of creating characters that occupy the expanded universe. This is very cool that this person listens to the pod. During this po- during this process, we ac- during this process we actually got a lot of notes regarding concepts, phrases, and items that don't exist in the Star Wars universe. Examples include the term refresh instead of bathroom, and the conspicuous absence of ordinary paper products. Do they also not have paper products in the bathroom? Because do they just have the three seashells? Because I still want to know how those work. At any rate... There are no bathrooms, Hank. Oh, just... Yeah. They just wear... They just refreshers. Have like, right. Sorry. Sorry. No toilet paper in the refreshers. At any... In any... At any rate, I'm here to inform you that in a galaxy far, far away, there are no shoelaces. During the development of our product, we were instructed to alter a particular character's combat boots to remove any trace of boot laces and replace them with straps. Since one can find the occasional cord in a Star Wars garment, I am given to imagine that the restriction is largely limited to aglet technology. So that's the holes that the laces go through. So while I find it hard... What? That's not what an aglet is. Oh, what's an aglet? An aglet is the little thing at the end of the shoelace. Oh, <laughs> that's super weird. Somebody okay. hasn't watched every episode of Phineas and Ferb. <laughs> okay, go on. Uh, so while I find it hard to imagine, um, so while I find it hard to imagine a more truly trivial piece of trivia, there it is: costumes and cannons. Anonymous. That was fascinating. And now we all know. I mean, that is an know. epic piece of trivia. Don't be surprised uh, if that pops up in uh, something that I write someday, because that is an epic piece of trivia. (laughs) Speaking of epic, Hank, what's the news for Mars? On the surface of Mars, John. Yeah. There is a fish. Mm Mm-hmm. What? Really? (laughs) I mean, that is finally some proper news from Mars. I just, I was checking to see if you were listening, and you totally weren't, because you just said, "Mm mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. like, it and took- then I, no, it took me a second. It just took me a second. <laughs> uh, so there are so, so uh, there is a paper that just came out about uh, what they are calling halos, um, and they are mm-hmm. basically these areas of lighter geography around fissures uh, in the in uh, in and around Gale Crater, which is this ancient lake bed that definitely had water in it for hundreds of thousands of years consecutively at the beginning of mm-hmm. Mars's uh, history and then was all gone by about 3.5-ish billion years ago. So that's where Curiosity Rover is at. And so they're getting lots of very good, interesting... Um, I said hundreds of thousands of years, I think. I meant to say hundreds of millions of years consecutively. So this is like the like fairly new information that Curiosity has given us that uh, this was a lake bed for a long, long time. Long, long time. Um, but by 3.5 billion years ago-ish, it seems like all that was gone. But these halos are indicating that while it was no longer a lake bed, there was at times flowing water that was laying down these silica sediments, which is the, the, what co- causes the light color. And uh, and that would have been groundwater seepage. It may have been like precipitation running uh, like 
running down and, and rivulets, but probably it was groundwater related. And, uh, and that, that groundwater would occasionally come up to the surface and then leave behind the silica on the surface. And that was happening for much longer. Now, they, they, they haven't made any like super statements about how much longer, but we're talking uh, a significant extension of Mars's sort of habitable period where there would have been liquid water um, either on the surface or very near the surface that that uh, bi- biology could have continued existing in. So it's fairly, it's a, it's a new paper uh, just came out and um, it's exciting stuff. That is cool. I mean, it's still not quite the same thing as a fish on Mars. No, uh, no, there's, there's, uh, there's not a fish as far as we know, but if there was a fish, it would not be on Mars. It would definitely have to be somewhere in because... Or just dead could just be a, like somebody like somebody just threw threw a fish really hard and it hit Mars. I mean, really hard. Tank, do you know where I was uh, one year ago today? Were you at the Indianapolis 500? No, I wasn't at the Indianapolis 500 because I had already left the Indianapolis 500 to fly to London to attend the playoff final oh, right. between ah, AFC wow, Wimbledon yeah. and uh, hmm, I don't know, Plymouth, Plymouth. Plymouth Argyle Football Club, who, by the way, Hank, got promoted this year from League Two. So even though they suffered heartbreak at Wembley uh, a year ago today, they have they have since uh, gone up, which is wonderful news. Very happy for them. Uh, But of course, uh, here in the Wimbledon fan community, we have all been reliving that magical day where Lyle Taylor, the uh, the Messi uh, from Montserrat, the Cristiano Ronaldo of the Caribbean uh, scored a vital goal uh, to put the Dons 1-0 up and then Adebayo Akinfenwa with the last kick of his AFC Wimbledon career scored a penalty to secure a 2-0 victory. Uh, AFC Wimbledon went up to League One where, of course, they finished 15th this year having not scored a uh, league goal in April, uh, which when you combine those two facts, is pretty impressive. And uh, (laughs) on the topic of not uh, scoring a league goal in April, uh, they have have just uh, signed a new striker who's also kind of an old striker. He used to play on loan for uh, for AFC Wimbledon, uh, and his name is uh, Kwesi Apia or Apaya, I actually don't know how to pronounce it, but he had a good loan spell for AFC Wimbledon uh, when he was last with the Dons, and I'm very excited and hopeful, and it is very likely that he has signed because word on the street is that Tom Elliott, uh, the most successful striker for this season's AFC Wimbledon, is likely headed to the championship. He is going to be headed uh, to a team that just got promoted from League One up to the championship, which is great news for him, uh, but because he's out of contract with AFC Wimbledon, Wimbledon won't get a uh, a fee, I don't think, for that that move, which is unfortunate, Mm -hmm. but it is good news for Tom, and and Wimbledon want to be the kind of club where people are so successful that they can play in higher leagues, although, of course, we would have liked to hang on to him. Um, so that's the update. Uh, it's It's been a wonderful, amazing year for AFC Wimbledon, and uh, hopefully with this new signing, it will be one more step toward an even better season next year, although, uh, frankly, any staying up would be a victory uh, next year. So. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that's that is exciting. Um, did you did you hear that uh, that th- there were some game worn clothes from those that that final thing being sold on AFC Bay? Do you know about AFC Bay? No. Oh, 
Uh, what is okay, AFC uh, Bay? Is that like an eBay site that they do? Yeah. No. It's an eBay site that they do, and they, they have a bunch of stuff. And I recently got something. It wasn't from that playoff game, but I did get a pair of AFC Wimbledon shorts oh. for you oh. uh, that have the, that have the logo on them oh. that were, were worn by Lyle Taylor in a game because I thought that that would be... Oh, that's great. Thanks, man. That was nice of you. Um, I'm excited to... Uh, very excited to frame those shorts. Yeah, that's pretty cool that we got that DFTBA going on them, and then we get to actually... I, I, I'm excited to actually see them. I haven't seen them in yeah. real life. So, yeah, um, no, they're, they're pretty great in real life. I can't wait to take you over to England for a game. I know it's harder now that you've got the kid and everything, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah. John, I want to thank a couple people. I want to thank Roxana for getting the uh, the the $25 remote attendance perk for PodCon. And I want to thank uh, Brett for getting the $90 uh, actual attendance in Seattle perk. And also I want to thank Parker for getting the $150 level, which includes uh, a swag bag and also a magical thumb drive that has a bunch of uh, things that uh, the founders of PodCon are creating and also a list of, a, a, a collection of some of our very favorite podcasts that have ever existed. Uh, so thanks to those folks. If you want to support PodCon in the final days before we end, um, we end it on Tuesday. So this goes up on Monday. So Tuesday... Um, after this goes up, that Indiegogo will be ending, and then podcon.com will become a website where you can get slightly more expensive and more limited tickets uh, until we actually have a PodCon, which will happen December 9th and 10th in Seattle. And I'm looking forward to live Dear Hank and Johnning from there and also doing a bunch of other weird, interesting, fun, and cool things. Um, hey, John. Yeah. What, what did we learn today? Well, we learned that Hank knows a surprising amount, or pretended to anyway, about how to build an ice cream truck business. <laughs> I just, I, I'm always obsessed with, I, I really want to make like a uh, ice cream trucks, but it's donuts. So mm, uh, I've thought about, idea. Bit, thought about it that's a little bit. That's a good idea. Um, because here in Montana, there's not a lot of call for ice cream all year round. Um, right. We also uh, learned that the penny was designed by Abraham Lincoln, just Lincoln, just smushing his face into uh into a giant metal plate oh yeah that is that is i believe now a historical fact (laughs) that's how facts happen now hank you just repeat them over and over again and then they become fact (laughs) and of course we learned that if somebody is mowing your lawn just just roll with it man and finally we learned that if you are 60 years old there is a very small chance that you will reach the age of 120 and you will at at 60 be middle-aged, which is pretty remarkable that that has ever happened to, to be clear, only one person ever. Yeah, but I believe that uh, it's going to start happening all the time. This, we're, on the, we're on the very brink of, of curing aging if uh, Silicon Valley weirdo billionaires are to be believed. <laughs> We also learned that aglet has nothing to do with the holes in the shoes. It's it's the thing that wraps it up. And, and when I Googled it, Phineas and Ferb was the second thing after Wikipedia that comes up. Well, they've got a whole song about it, Hank. And after you listen, you will never forget what an aglet is. Thanks, everybody, for uh, listening to our podcast. You can find us on uh, Twitter at Hank Green and John Green. Um, and uh, you can email us your questions at hankandjohn at gmail.com. We always welcome your questions and are very grateful for them. We apologize to all the ones uh, we didn't get to. Also, if you can't get enough, dear Hank and John, we have a new supplemental podcast called This Week in Ryan's, where every week we talk about a different Ryan. 
Uh, you can find out more about that at patreon.com slash dear Hank and John. This podcast is produced by Rosiana Hals Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. It's edited by Nicholas Jenkins. Our social media person is Victoria Bongiorno, who also helps out with the Patreon at patreon.com slash dear Hank and John. The music that you hear now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be, to be awesome. awesome.